Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Presents Sunday Morning Sports Talk with your host, Ken Brew, on News Radio 700 WLW. Hey, welcome. Come on in. We don't fight. We never have. We never will. Welcome back. Sunday Morning Sports Talk 906. Glad you are with us today as we count down to what ought to be a very interesting day in the history of the Cincinnati Reds because today, Hunter Green will make his major league debut. And I was thinking back over the course of the Reds, particularly over the course of the last 15, 20 years, and the only other Major League debut I can remember being so anticipated was the Major League debut of Jay Bruce. Because Bruce was a homegrown, home-cultivated outfielder. There weren't a lot of those in the history of the Cincinnati Reds at that time. And yet here was Bruce ascending to the Major Leagues, who was going to take his rightful spot in the outfield. And uh, there was great buzz in this town, despite the fact that the team wasn't all that great. Great buzz in this town about Jay Bruce and being able to come in at a very young age and maybe give, if not the, the team, the box office a lift. Homer Bailey was anticipated as well. He, um, he was rushed to the major leagues. I don't think there's any question about that. And it curtailed his ability to have what I think would have been a very long and fruitful career here. Homer Bailey had some really big high spots. He had no hitters. But consistently... It just it just wasn't there for him. And, of course, he was set adrift and uh, finished up his career with other organizations. But I think this, this, this elevation of Hunter Green to the Major League roster eclipses Bailey, and it also challenges Bruce. Very excited to see what he can do. It has not been an easy path to Major League Baseball, and we can... We can see that now in Chase Petty. That's the pitcher that the Reds got in the trade with Minnesota for Sonny Gray. Now, everybody's excited about Chase Petty. He throws the ball hard. He's 18 years old. He can, he'll be able to do this, and he'll be able to do that, or so we're told. But we know, just watching Green, it is not quite that seamless. Green has had his Tommy John surgery. Any pitcher that throws as hard as Green throws will eventually have Tommy John surgery. But now he's here, and it took a while. And now that he's here, I think that this team gets a little bit of a lift. I don't know what he's going to do today. I'm not going to judge him on what he does today. I'm going to look at him and see how he completes his first Major League season. Does he get through it healthy? Does he go through orders more than twice and get batters out? Will he learn pitch, uh, pitch and speed separation? Will he learn the intricacies of the game inside the game? Holding base runners on base. You know, those are those are fundamentals in baseball coming up, but now this is the major leagues, and everybody is pretty darn good. You look for all of that. But today there is that excitement, and we'll get to see him eventually when the Reds come home and play an elongated series. But today, today is his first major league game, and I'm pretty excited to see what happens. He is too, for that matter, because when they told him he made the roster, 
Uh, well, this is his reaction. You can judge by the excitement level. Um, I'm still at a loss for words. Uh, I knew yesterday, but I had to keep it on the on the down low, which was tough. I told my family and a couple friends. Um, but man, it's you know, like everybody says, it's what I've been waiting for, and you know. But um, a lot of work went into this. Um, you know, my my team that's around me, not just my family, but uh, trainers. Um, you know, other people outside in the off season that are I'm constantly talking to, consulting with, trying to get all the information I can get from my body, how I'm able to get through a full season, all that stuff. They, um, they, they've, they've helped with this as well. So um, just very appreciative of, of, of my team. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't wait to go out and, and compete with these guys. Um, it's an exciting team, um, young team. Um, you know, we got a couple vets too. And, you know, Joey, Joey's a, uh, you know, they're taking me on his way, I'm sure, and I look forward to that. But um, great group of guys. Um, I've gotten closer with a lot of these guys as well, so that's been nice that I kind of get that that love back and um, just creating these relationships before we go to war. Kind of hard to believe, right? Hunter Green taken in the first round, the second overall pick of the 2017 draft five years ago. It's taken this guy five years to get to Major League Baseball. It is not a quick path for most pitchers, even those as gifted as Green. He had trouble early on with his control and then obviously had the surgery, but progressed along nicely, particularly in the 2021 season. Started out in Billings in 2017, got bumped to Dayton, the uh, low single-A team, in 2018, and uh, pitched 18 games there. But then 2019 came, and the arm problems, and the surgery, and all of a sudden, we're now at 2021. And he play, pitches very well at Chattanooga. Pitched in seven games in Chattanooga. Looked very well in Chattanooga. Uh, actually, he was 5-0 and in Chattanooga. 5-0 and in Chattanooga in, uh, in seven starts. And then went to Louisville. Made 14 starts in Louisville. Went 5-8. and eight. So 10-8 and eight on the 2021 season for Hunter Green. And we'll see what happens today. Like I said, I'm excited. Not going to get too over my skis if he has goes out there and he throws spectacular baseball for six innings. Because you know there will be bumpy roads ahead. But by and large, the most exciting rookie to make his Major League debut, in my opinion, for the Cincinnati Reds since Jay Bruce. Now then, to the nuts and bolts. Uh, the Reds are one and two. They looked terrific on opening night. Tyler, Tyler Malley looked terrific on, on opening night. Threw the ball very, very well. And then we began to see what happens when you don't have consistent starting pitching every single game. It's very difficult to build a winning streak unless you have one, two, three top-of-the-order starters. Now, this is not a indictment of Reverse San Martin. Because he's in, uh, he's in the rotation largely because of injury and largely because the fact that the Reds basically looked at their rotation and said, yeah, it's probably not going to be in our best interest to have Wade Miley and Sonny Gray uh, financially in our interest. It was a financial decision on both cases. You don't trade Sonny Gray for a bunch of prospects unless it's a financial decision. You don't let Wade Miley walk without compensation unless it's a financial decision. So San Martin lasted two and a third, four hits and five runs. He was not good. He just he just was not good. 
Last night, uh, Vlad Gutierrez was very good. He went and out into the fifth, six hits, two runs, both earned, two walks, four strikeouts. Pitched very well. Now, the headline on both opening night, well, to a degree on opening night, and in the uh, in the follow-up game where San Martin left early, the bullpen has thrown very well. It's been kind of a surprise so far this season. Hunter Strickland. A lot of people were excited about Hunter Strickland in the bullpen this year. And, you know, I was kind of one of those guys that said, you know, okay, Hunter Strickland, uh, you know, I'm sure he's, Sure, he's got great potential. Uh, he's uh, a guy that has a lot of seasoning. Been around for a very long time. Made his major league debut with San Francisco all the way back in 2014. He was with three teams last year. I'm thinking, okay, what you're hoping for is that potential that he comes in here and he resurrects his major league career. Threw very well last night. Threw exceptionally well last night. Uh, goes uh, an inning and two-thirds. Strikeout, no runs, no hits, no walks. Justin Williams, uh, Wilson, who came to this team midseason. Uh, okay, for two-thirds of an inning. I mean, he did exactly what you wanted. Um, Ryan Hendricks, through a third of an inning, came in, did what he was supposed to do. Gave up a hit, walked a guy, um, didn't allow a run. And then finally, with an inning of uh, a walk and a, and a strikeout, was another newcomer, Dari Moretta. The bullpen threw very well last night, uh, well in the opener, uh, threw pretty well, not great in the, uh, in the comeback attempt in, the, in Game 2 against Atlanta. So the Reds are 1-2. and two. They're, uh, They hit the ball well in Game 1. They hit the ball well on the come in Game 2. It just didn't, it just didn't click for them. Kyle Farmer is uh, is hitting the ball about as you expect, 273. Tyler Stevenson is hitting the ball as you would expect. He's had seven at-bats. He's had a couple of hits, 286. Mike Moustakis is not hitting the ball well. This is a problem. Uh, Eugenio Suarez did not hit the ball well last year. He hit for power, didn't hit for average. Uh, Moustakis is so far, and again, you can't get really too deep into the weeds in this stuff but uh, has not hit the wall uh, ball so far in 10 at-bats. Uh, Nick Senzel, not hit the ball well, not hit the ball the way he has hit the ball in spring. Tommy Fan has been a blank so far. Tyler Naquin, not hitting the ball. Jonathan India, not hitting the ball so far. Joey Votto, 3 for 10. That's basically where it is at this point. As far as pitching, we've gone over that. Malley was terrific. Opening night. I mean, if they can get that consistently from Malley and get Castillo back and healthy and pitching the way he did in the second half of last season, well, then you've got something at the top of your order. And, you know, we'll see down the road what Mike Miner gives to you. We'll see. Not completely convinced that was an ideal trade, but we'll see. So the Reds are what they are. Everybody this year had been... You know, they, they, had the, they had the Reds somewhere around 70, 72 wins. Uh, I think the over-under in Vegas on wins was 75. Might have been able to find 76, but I think it was 75 was about it. There have been some places where the Reds' win total immediately before the season began was bumped up to around 80. Pakoda, from Baseball Prospectus, had them bumped up around 80. Um, USA Today 
probably was the center spot for most predictions on the Reds this year. USA Today assembled a panel of six of their baseball guys, one of whom was on my show last Sunday, might have heard my interview with Gabe Locks, been around a very long time and has written forever, maybe since the inception, I'll have to ask him, but since the inception of USA Today. Anyway, Locks was on the show last week, and this is in the wake of USA Today having the Reds at 72 and 90 this year. 72 and 90 would not be historically bad, but it would be bad. Anyway, we got into that. I just want to want to replay just a clip from that interview right now of what Locke said about the Reds. This is last week. I have them a little better personally than seventy-two wins. I think they'll I think they'll finish higher than the Cubs. I think they have a still have a really good core. Uh, I think uh, Tyler Stevenson's continued breakout will be really interesting to watch. Uh, you know, can Jonathan India take another step forward or at least repeat what he did last year? Still a pretty solid team, and then you look at the upside with with Hunter Green, you know, entering the rotation. Can he stay in there? You know, that would be huge. Uh, you know, him and Lodolo both uh, would obviously add some some great young, uh, you know, young depth and, and possibly dominance to the rotation. So uh, that being said, it, it does seem like a really weird time to move laterally. You know, you didn't blow the whole thing up. Uh, you got rid of some really key pieces, and you made your team. Uh, you know, not very good, not as good, um, um, or not a whole bunch of savings. So probably the uh, the most head-scratching offseason of any out there, I'd have to say. There you go. There's Gabe Locks. One thing that will make this a better season than most people give the Reds credit for at this point is going to be defense. Defense. We keep hearing that although Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker have been extracted from the outfield, that defensively that outfield will be will be better. Well, we saw it last night. Third inning, Matt Olson leadoff walk. Uh, Azuna singled. I'm sorry, doubled. Past Mustakis again. Mustakis at third defensively has had some adventures so far this year. So it goes down the left field line. One of the newer guys that came in in the middle of spring training, Jake Fraley, gets it, relays it to Kyle Farmer, and then uh, just guns down Olsen at the plate. Uh, Aramis Garcia catching, just terrific last night, had to field that thing on one hop. It was, it was really, truly terrific. Uh, Olsen was a victim later on in the game. There was a throw from Aristides Aquino. And again, Aquino is is high risk, high reward at the plate. In the outfield, he's always had the reputation of somebody that was fairly good defensively and had a rocket for an arm, and we saw it last night. The throw from Aquino that nailed Olsen at the plate later on in this game 101.6 miles an hour. That is the speed that he threw that ball that nailed Olsen at the plate. Now, they keep keep track of these things at uh, StatCast. Um, His throw at 101.6 was the hardest-tracked outfield assist by a Reds player since they kept these stats initially in 2015. In 2015. And uh, the other play was Nick Senzel in center field. Now, again, I said Senzel is not hitting the ball. But he tracks down 
This fly ball off the bat of Alex Dickerson of the Atlanta Braves. And it was absolutely astounding for him to be able to track that down. Again, StatCast, this service that keeps track of these things because you and I sure don't have time to do it. StatCast gave Senzel a 5% probability of making the catch. He covered 84 feet. He was running at over 28 feet a second. And this is on the heels of making a couple of good catches. Actually, one one great catch and another one that was very good in center field in the 7-6 loss. So the Reds, they've extracted offense. Their defense has got to be what we've seen in the first three games of this series. They're pitching the rotation until and if Castillo gets back in the, that rotation and starts throwing the way he did midseason last year. And if they can get anywhere close to a 500 effort for minor, their starting pitching is going to be a liability. There just isn't enough starting pitching there right now to build a win streak. We'll see with Hunter Green today. Right now, Malley looked terrific. Right now, Vlad Gutierrez took him into the fifth, one out. But you got to get more consistency from that starting pitching. If they can, and the bullpen is any indication for the rest of this season, the way it's been in these first three games, uh, I, too, think they're going to be better than 72 wins. But we'll see. As they say, that's why they play the game. It is coming up on 923. It's Sunday Morning Sports Talk, 700 WLW. Mike McConnell here. I'd like to share this text with you, if I could. Mike, considering how amazing you are on 700 WWE's Morning Show, how do you stay so humble? Now, hold on. It's a lot more to the morning show than just me. There's Zach Dennis in with sports, Chuck Ingram with traffic, Jennifer Ketchmark with weather, financial reports, our London and Washington, D.C. correspondents, Jay Ratliff, and more. So you see, it's not just me. That's no, mostly me. And that's how I stay so humble. Mike McConnell, your humble morning man. Tomorrow morning at 5 on 700 WLW. Who doesn't like free? Everybody likes free. Well, now Holding Realtors has something free for you, a free market analysis of your home. They will let you know exactly what it is worth and will put it on the market, and then they will help you get that price because Holding can just do that. By the way, look for them in the opening day parade. They've been in it for the last 30 years. They'll have their float, their oompa band. More important, though, look at what they're doing in the terms of selling real estate. Listen to this. Jeff Obermeyer listed a great traditional two-story with an open floor plan, over 2,600 square feet, and a finished lower level in White Oak. It went under contract in one day. That's the kind of service you can expect from Honing. Get them out to your house. Have them do an analysis. It's easy. Just pick up the phone. Area code 513-451-4800. 451-4800. Or on the internet, Hoding with an E.com. Rocky Boyman here, folks. The wait is over. Woody Sanderford just got restocked. I was down there this week and got a look at their sleep. Today, Austin Gale, ProFootballFocus.com. On the upcoming NFL draft, he has his latest mock draft out. As you know, we love ProFootballFocus.com. From the Masters, Ryan Balaji on round four, which is ready to go here in uh, about four hours. And uh, we'll get into the whole Tiger Woods thing. I just think it's an amazing, it's an amazing story that he can actually walk 
number one, and two, walk and play golf uh, after what he went through with his car accident last year. But um, he does not have the lead. We'll talk about who does when we get Ballinger in here at 11.06. And uh, at 11.36, Jacob Carmenker from SportingNews.com next weekend. It is the latest incarnation of spring professional football. The USFL is back. Spring football has failed and failed miserably uh, three times in recent memory. And, of course, the original USFL went under when it tried to sue its way into the NFL and went out of business all the way back in 1987, I believe, 86. And um, we'll see. I don't know. The XFL is next year. And the NFL has seemed to embrace the XFL a little bit more than the USFL. Anyway, we'll get into that with Carmenker at 11.36. And uh, in about 25 minutes, I'll be joined by one of the great percussionists of our time and songwriter as well. Carmine Apice is going to join me. He is a guy who co-wrote a lot of Rod Stewart's big hits. And uh, now has pieced together an album with some of the great guitar virtuosos of our time. It's coming up at uh, 10.06. Um, I'm sure you've seen this in action if you've watched baseball, any baseball, since opening day. Uh, the 150-year uh, tradition of Major League Baseball uh, teams using signs, physical signs, finger signs between catcher and pitcher is on the way out thanks to a new piece of technology that it seems like every Major League Baseball team is using. The Reds certainly are. And uh, it's a way to communicate so that no one, they hope, can steal signals like the Houston Astros did famously all those years ago. It's, this, this, this device is called Pitchcom, and it is an electronic keyboard that the catcher has on his sleeve that transmits that particular call to the pitcher. The pitcher hears it in audio fashion, and so do several other players on the field. It's pretty wild, but so far so good. Standing by to weigh in on that and a column that he had this week on Fangraphs.com that caught my eye. The hopefully not horrifyingly inaccurate 2022 Zips projections for the National League. Here's our guy, Dan Zimborski. Dan, how are you on this glorious Sunday? I'm good, Ken. How are you doing today? Good. Not horrifying. Well, I mean, to some people, perhaps, but uh, but certainly I wouldn't expect to you. Uh, this is just a little fun thing you do to play off your zips, and uh, and uh, I, I found it interesting. I think most people in baseball figure it's not going to be a robust season for the Reds, although I did see Pakota gave him a couple of extra wins this past week, but uh, you got him at 74 and 88. Uh, about a 3% chance of winning the division, 2% chance of winning the wild card, 4% chance of making the playoffs. Um, that seems to fall in along national lines, but I have seen some that project this team for close to 80 wins. So I, I guess that 74 to 80 cushion probably is where this thing is going to fall, right? Yeah, it, it looks like it. And obviously sometimes he missed terribly, uh, like, Last year, I missed the uh, the Giants by, let's just say, a lot of games. Mm. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that you see a variance in projections is it's, it's not just gauging how individual players will do, which is a hard enough challenge because there's enough error involved in doing that. It's also figuring who will eventually get the playing time. Uh, some years ago, I think it was around 2015, it was when the Rangers had this surprisingly poor year, 
Uh, I projected them for, for 86 wins going into the season. Uh, they actually won like 60-some games. And the biggest difference wasn't that the players were projected wrong. It's that players that I never expected to be even on the team got a lot of playing time. So it's a huge challenge projecting teams. Well, it is. I mean, particularly for the Reds, it's a huge challenge. I mean, their, their laundry list of player moves before opening day uh, would lead you to believe that a lot of different players and players are not completely familiar with at least in, in, in recent in recent years, are going to get a lot of playing time. So how do you calculate that when you see players like Moran and Solano and Drury and players like that who, who may get significant playing time early in the year? Well, this does use kind of a depth chart approach where it has an estimated, playing, an estimated number of plate appearances for the starters. And based on the simulation number, it will sometimes fill in more or fewer uh, appearances. Uh, the, it, the idea is kind of trying to stimulate injuries a bit. So zip simulates a million seasons. So sometimes Kyle Farmer gets 400 plate appearances. Sometimes he's injured. And, you know, Jose Barrero gets more plate appearances than in some other simulations. Sometimes Barrero's injured and it drops down to, say, Donovan Solano or Max Strzok. It, it, it's trying to... It, it's like trying to eat jello with a fork. Uh, you can eventually, but it's, it's kind of inaccurate. <laughs> what does your computer look like? How do you, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I'm not trying to sound like some guy that had an original IBM in his house, but I'm just saying, what does your computer and your time look like for this? Uh, well, I do have uh, a dedicated work computer that I use. Uh, it, it's not quite as impressive as it sounds. Uh, I also had an old computer. I had I had one of the old IBM 8086s in the early 80s as a little kid. Oh uh, and then I had a Tandy for a while. Uh, no one, I, don't, I don't think Tandy still exists. I'm, I'd have to check that out. With the old sidecar cassette player, right? You probably had one of those, huh? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Yeah, I... Ye Anyone today, it makes me feel old when I talk about, like, floppy disks. You know, the five-and-a-quarter-inch floppies and the little three-and-a-half-inch floppies. Yeah. Which aren't that floppy, but now we're kind of getting into Dan's old tech hour. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, the new use, in-game use of... Um a play pitch calling, which we saw debuted uh, on opening on opening night. Um, I, I think it's interesting. It's designed, obviously, to stop stealing signals. It's an electronic device that the catcher and pitcher use, and then there's a designated number of players in the infield that can also see what the pitch call is. Um, I mean, was that I mean, sign stealing? We know about the Astros a few years ago. I mean, was it was it that rampant in baseball that they felt like they had to go to something like this? Well, while the Astros were the most egregious, I think most people believe that there was some kind of 
sign feeling largely around the league. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, a, of of two things about this because I'm old school in that I think, you know, classic sign feeling where you actually see the sign and you and you figure out what the what, what the call is. I kind of like that thing. It's, I mean, it's, it's part of kind of baseball history, baseball culture. Uh, but I think inevitably in a modern age, uh, when you're going to have signs, it's going to be technology on some level that uh, steals signs. Uh, the Astros. The Astros' approach, I mean, was kind of low-tech. I mean, it was banging a trash can, yeah. which isn't exactly the, the, the front of technology. Uh, but I I guess that if they didn't do something like this, then there would be even more uh, uh, of that kind of thing in the future, using better and better technology. I mean, we have cameras now that, you know, StatCast, they pick up the, the spin rate sure. of a baseball. Sure. And once you can do that, you can see a lot of things on the field. So... Maybe the next frontier in sign stealing will be illegally wiretapping wow. the other team's wow. communications. That would be yeah. fun. Really James Bond type yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watergate-esque. Watergate-esque. Uh, but this company that, that uh, developed this technology, I believe it's called ProMystic, I don't think they had anything to do with banging on trash cans a few years ago. I think they, if they have, they've come a long way technologically. But <laughs> but apparently the, kit, the catcher's got a wristband. And it it fit and and then how does he he has got a push button transmitter, and it, and the receivers fit into the padding of the catcher's helmet and the sweatbands of the caps worn by the pitchers and fielders, and I guess there's like a it's almost like a I guess like a like a like a telephone pad or whatever it's a nine grid button and it corresponds to the different kinds of pitches, but then there's oh wait a minute there there are those oh wait a minute buttons and three buttons that can I guess restart the system, <laughs> I mean. So, so he's calling the the the, uh, the pitches, but it's a but it's 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 an audio signal that goes into the the helm the 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 the, the pitcher pitcher's hat the infielder's hats is that how that works? More or less, that that that's how it works. Uh, I wonder if there's it leads room for the uh, efficiency of say a knuckleball picture. Because you didn't oh. need a signal for Tim Wakefield. He was just going to throw the knuckleball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they, they break it down. I mean, like four, uh, four seam high inside, curve high middle, slider high outside and all that. And there's going to come a day, you said about, about you know, tapping into these signals. There's going to come a day when it's going to send one signal to a pitcher and another signal to the second baseman and all of a sudden nobody's on the same page and it's going to look like one of those giant clusters you know i mean you you know that day's coming right true but it'll be a great gif on social media uh, to, 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 see, to see the thing what i want to see the problem is with the technology if i was on the team my idea would be kind of to troll things and try to mess things up i'd say oh well Let's see, the pitcher doesn't throw a, a, a cutter. Let's tell him to throw one, see what he does. <laughs> Chatting with Dan Zimborski, Fangraphs.com. He's got for both legs right now. And it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of like this as, uh, as kind of like an appetizer. The season now is uh, several games old, but you can you can still go back and see this. The hopefully not horrifying, inaccurate 2022 Zips projections <laughs> for the National and American League fit that on a newspaper headline. There's an old saying in baseball: don't read too much 
into the first month of a season. In other words, teams that don't get off to a great start always say, hey, we got a lot of time left. Teams that get off to a good start often say, well, you know, these wins in April are as important as wins in September. The more you win now, the fewer you have to win in September. How do you view the first 30 days of a season? Uh, well, I do weekly chats at Fangraphs, and generally I will dismiss most questions about early season performance with the one-month answer, April. Uh, <laughs> y- you can really get into trouble when you take early games too seriously. Obviously, they count. You'll, you'll take whatever. It changes the odds. Uh, I mean, say the Reds go, like, the difference between going to 18 and 9 and 9 and 18 has a huge effect on the playoff probability wherever they stand on May 1st. Uh, but, you know, these are considered small sample sizes. And uh, another analyst named Boris Verkraken, uh, who's a friend of mine, he always had a rule called Boris's Law, which is that anything can happen in 100 plate appearances. Uh, so at this point, I mean, don't over-focus too much on the actual year stats. Just enjoy the game. Just enjoy that we have baseball, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's slightly party. And Generally speaking, once we get later, then we can start to see some real statistically meaningful trends. But you don't get a lot, of, a ton of that in April, really. Well, it's never too enjoy Dan Zimborski, Fangraphs.com. Uh, stay well. I'm sure we'll visit down the road. Good stuff. Thank you, Dan. Always fun. Thanks for having me, Ken. Yeah, I, as long as it's not, uh, there's no sort of technical breakdown. But then you can go back to doing it manually, right? Right. All right. Time now for the Cincinnati Children's Change, the outcome play of the game. From yesterday's Reds game, if you're the seventh caller at 513-749-7000 and you know the correct play, you will win two tickets to a future Reds game courtesy of Children's Hospital. What number did you say to call, Martha? Uh, Fred Martha left you for that roadie in the Dead Again Company. You know about that? You didn't know about that? What? It was years ago. Anyway, the seventh correct caller at 513-749-7000. Cincinnati Children's changing the outcome together on 700 WLW. It's a hardball palooza. What a catch! Oh, wow! Redlegs battle in the Braves for baseball glory. Way back there, and it is gone! And we've got the action live. That might be the play of the year. Get the call from Atlanta today at 1235. Way back and way gone. On 700 WLW and 700WLW's live stream on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, hey! I want to tell to you again about my favorite place in the entire planet to go watch a game, go have a beer, go be with friends at his little Miami brewing in the heart of downtown historic Milford. Great news. Their classic beer, River Dog, is back on tap. It's a blueberry kettle sour. Easy to sip while relaxing along the river or enjoying the Reds this afternoon or just enjoying company. Oh, by the way, if you've got a big event coming up in your life, a large gathering of people, you got to check out their brand new event center. It is stellar for wedding receptions and parties and concerts. 
big concerts coming up this summer. In fact, coming up on Friday, May the 13th, just added the Ultimate Doors. The Doors Tribute Band is coming. You can get tickets online for just $25. Where? Why, at LittleMiamiBrewing.com. G Cincinnati. And now, as I said, and now, the game-changing play sounded uh, remarkably like this. And a ground ball past the third baseman. Moustaka is trying to dive for it, and that's down the line into the corner. Fraley over to cut it off. Riley around to third as Olsen scores, and Ozuna's into second with an RBI double. Hmm. Oh, well. Cheryl Schmer from Clifton. She was the seventh correct caller, and she wins two tickets to a future Reds game. Now, if you would like to be like Cheryl, or perhaps just possess some of Cheryl's qualities, be listening tomorrow morning to Mike McConnell. He'll have the latest Cincinnati Children's Change the Outcome Play of the Game. Cincinnati Children's Changing the Outcome Together. Oh, it's good to have that back. I miss that little segment. I think the last time we did that was in October of 2019. Anyway, it's great to have it back and uh, great to be partnering with Cincinnati Children's. Was on their uh, Sunday morning sports talk with your host Ken Brew on News Radio 700 WLW. Here we go, here we go, here we go. 10:08. Good morning, Sunday morning sports talk 700 WLW. Welcome back as we count down to the Reds and the Braves and the Major League debut of Hunter Green. In fact, I have got the Reds lineup for today's game. Here we go. You ready? Leading off and playing second base will be Jonathan India. The DH will be Tyler Naquin. He will bat second. In left field and batting third, Tommy Pham. Joey Votto bats cleanup. You know where he's at, first base. Tyler Stevenson will catch. He'll bat fifth. Batting sixth in center field, Nick Senzel. Batting seventh at third base, Colin Moran. Batting seventh and playing shortstop is Kyle Farmer. And in right field today is Jake Fraley, Hunter Green on the mound and pitching today for your Cincinnati Reds against the Braves, Ian Anderson. Imagine that. Ian Anderson, lead singer for Jethro Tull. He also plays for the Atlanta Braves. India, Naquin, Pham, Votto, Stevenson, Senzel, Moran, Farmer, and Fraley. That's the lineup for your Cincinnati Reds. First pitch today, 136. Inside pitch coming up today along about 1235 right here on 700 WLW. Well, he is one of the great percussionists of our time and a guy that can also write some music. In fact, Carmine Apice wrote a lot, a lot of the big hits for Rod, for Rod Stewart, including this one. But his roots in rock and roll go all the way back to the psychedelic 60s when he banged the skins for Vanilla Fudge. He wrote this song for Rod Stewart. And then went on and joined Rod Stewart's band full-time till Stewart mysteriously fired him for some reason. We'll get into that in a minute. Now, the latest on his latest effort is called Guitar Zeus. He has boxed it together with some of the great guitars of all time. 
All right, all right. Let's bring in, people call him a drummer. I don't call him a drummer. I call him a percussionist because a percussionist is the highest level of drumming one can achieve. He is the great Carmine of Peace. Carmine, how are you on this glorious day? Uh, very good. I like that introduction. That's pretty cool. Never thought of it like that. And now we get to revisit all these years later, Guitar Zeus, this ambitious project you took on back in 1995 that has so many great guests on this uh, on this particular project. Uh, this edition has four LPs or three CDs, full-color booklet, a lot of photos no one's ever seen before, and some of the greatest legends in rock and roll. As you look back over these 25 years, can you believe you actually pulled this off? I can't believe it. I can't believe it's still going. <laughs> but I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, it's like... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, and, and we added three uh, new tracks on it that they were never recorded or finished. You know, uh, they were recorded, but they weren't finished. We just had tracks and then... Uh, when I, we were deciding to do this, the label said, do you have any unrecorded stuff? I said, as a matter of fact, I do. So we took them out of the archives there, and we, we transferred them to digital. And next thing we know, we're, we got some great people on. I got Derek Sherinian, who played with Dream Theater and Sons of Apollo. You know, he played keyboard like a guitar solo, you know, which was amazing. It's, yeah. it's, it's a tremendous job. Yeah. Then we got Kiss's uh, Tommy Fair played on another track. We did a video with him uh, called Mystified. And uh, I'm real excited about it because the package is great. We remastered it again, you know, to uh, to today's specifications. And, and it, it was done on analog everything anyway. Yeah. You know, so it has a great... Big, fat, warm, analog sound. Yeah, I mean, and you got... Really, really wonderful package. I had forgotten the artists that were on this originally. You had Brian May, you had Neil Sean, you had Zach Wilde, you had Ted Nugent. Uh, you even did a cover of the, you know, the Rod Stewart song, Do You Think I'm Sexy, which, by the way, you co-wrote. You got the great Pat Travers on that cut. That was a wonderful take on that mm -hmm. song. Well, after being in Vanilla Fudge, as you know... If I do a cover, I don't do anything like the record. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. You got to change it or why bother doing it?
Well, that's what you guys did at the Vanilla Fudge. They were not shy early on about doing covers. I mean, that's I mean, you you cut your teeth yeah, on that, you know. Yeah, you know, and I remember we played a gig at the Cincinnati Zoo. Really? With Vanilla Fudge. I always remember that. It yeah. was an outdoor gig at the zoo. <laughs> and, uh, and before before we went on or after, they gave a tour of the zoo. And, you know, we went into the you know the backstage areas of the zoo. It was pretty awesome. It's still one of the I best. I remember in- that in my life. Yeah, it's still one of the best in the country. There's no question about it. Um, as you went back and you yeah. and you remastered this and you re-listened to this album, as you listened to this in, these individual cuts, did anybody on any one of these songs, any one of the, the, the guest artists on these songs, on Guitar Zeus, did any of them surprise you just in what they did with the song, uh, just out of the blue, something they did? Yeah, uh, I think it was Brian May, because Brian May never plays with a Wawa. You know? Yeah. And uh, he did two versions of the song, one with a Wawa and one without a Wawa. Because he never plays with a Wawa. I, I used the version with him playing the Wawa because he did it so well. It was awesome, and, and him playing the Wawa is so unique. So that was one of the one of the surprises. I can't believe this is, you talk about time, I can't believe this has been 41 years, but do you think I'm yeah. sexy, Rod wrote the lyrics, you wrote the music for that, and of course it was a yeah. mega hit, four weeks at number one. Somebody told me, somebody told me, I don't know where I heard this, but that was supposed to be kind of a hard rock song, and it morphed into disco. Yeah, How did that was. happen? How did that happen? Well, so this is how it happened. Rod used to listen to the charts look and say, I want a song like that. She sits alone, waiting for suggestions. He's so nervous, more than all the questions. His lips are dry, her heart's gently bounding. Don't you just know exactly what they're thinking? Yes, you want my body, and you think I'm sexy. Come on, sugar, let me know. song he wanted it to be like was Missing You by the Rolling Stones. Mm. He, was a really, he was a big Rolling Stones fan. Right. So we all went home and came back. And, uh, he liked my version. I went to my, my buddy Dwayne's studio and he put down my ideas and added some of his stuff. And we got you know, a great track that presented to Rod and he loved it. So when we actually recorded it, it was three guitars, bass, drums, and Dwayne playing the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And it was big. Andy Johns was the engineer. We had a big rock sound going on, you know. Tom Dow was the producer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so Tom produced Tonight, um, Tonight's Tonight for right. Rod. Right. Went to number one, number one album, number one single. So, you know, Rod listen, can listen to him. He put an orchestra on it. 
He put singers on it. So now instead of being on one twenty-four track, we're on two twenty-four tracks. And he put the orchestra doing the line that But it's a big orchestra doing that. It's like 25, 30 piece orchestra yeah, doing that. Yeah. And singers singing it. And so when he mixed it, it wasn't exactly what we wanted. So the band, and, and Roger sort of had a question mark in his head too. You know? Yeah. But Tom said, trust me, this is, this is it. It went to number one in every free country in the world. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Can't, we couldn't argue with that. A guest on my show when your book came out, uh, Stick It, My Life of Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, yeah. a couple of years ago. And I, I, the question I didn't ask yeah. you was, what was the best part of your life? Was it sex, was it drums, or was it rock and roll? Probably drums, because without the drums, I wouldn't have got the sex or rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you're right. I mean, you got to have an entree into it, but... Uh, the, the book was a great yeah. great read. And the other thing you left hanging when we talked last time is, did you ever figure out why Rod Stewart fired you? No, because he, he wrote in the book, and I've seen him since. You know, we, we've, uh, you know, I went to, um, he, he has a house in Palm Beach. I moved to Florida, so the West Palm Beach area. And we got together in July, and we had a drink for a couple hours. And, yeah. And we talked about it. He goes, I don't know why. You know, I think he was, I think he was, you know, at the time drinking a lot and yeah. partying with the, you know, cocaine with the other guys, you know, like everybody did back in those days, you yeah. know, because yeah. he wrote the intro to my book. He says, I fired Carmine, F knows why. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we had a few laughs and uh, I'm going to see him again. He's going to play down, down yeah. in um, uh, Florida at the Hard Rock. Yeah. As you as you re, as you remastered this and you went back and listened to all of this music. By the way, we're chatting with Carmine Apiece, great percussionist, rock and roll deluxe, Guitar Zeus, 25th anniversary box set. As you went back and you re-listened re to these songs and you remastered them, was it more a trip down memory lane for you with the songs or with the photos and interviews that that went, goes along with this box set? You know, looking at yourself through the years well, and all that. <laughs> I really love the music on this stuff that we created. You know, considering it's 25 years ago, if you listen to it today, it still sounds today like now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the heaviness and and you know, because when we were doing it, it was like you know, Blue Murder meets Soundgarden meets uh, meets the Beatles. That that was what was the, what it was like. You know, yeah. 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 and it still stands up today. Set me free.
And it's terrific, and it's just dropped. Guitar Zeus 25th anniversary box set. Carmine, stay well. You got to keep keep making the music. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Oh yeah, and hopefully we'll get to Cincinnati and do a gig again. Maybe not at the zoo, but somewhere. <laughs> Thank you, Carmine. Thank you, man. See ya. Slash, Brian May, Ted Nugent, Neil Sean, Richie Zambor, Zach Wild. And many, many, many more. It's a remaster of an album that was out, I want to say, in 98, 99. And uh, with a couple of twists and turns in between. It's got John McEnroe on this album, too, playing a guitar. I mean, it's, it's pretty wild stuff. It really is. As you know, I am passionate about a lot of things in life. I'm passionate about sports. I am passionate about music, and I am passionate about what I drive, and I drive BMWs from right here in Cincinnati at the BMW store. Did you know there are over 350 BMW centers in the United States, but there is only one BMW store? They have great door-to-door -door customer experience with sales and with service. The BMW stores, just 10 minutes North of Cincinnati, just off I-71. I've said this, if you're riding through life... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You might as well ride through life in luxury. And you'll always find that at the BMW Store. 1023 Sunday Morning Sports Talk. 700 WLW. Mr. and Mrs. America, April 15th is tax day. And nothing makes you feel more American than handing over your hard-earned money to Uncle Sam. Because Sam uses your money wisely. Like $1.3 million to verify that hearing bad news decreases happiness. So red, white, and blue kudos to you, tax-paying American from 700-WLW. What you're about to hear is actual 911. Look, I am Ken Brew. Two weeks from this coming Thursday, it's round one of the NFL draft, rounds two and three the next day, and then the following Saturday, two weeks from this coming Saturday, will be the rest of the 2022 NFL draft. The Bengals pick 31st. 31st out of 32 teams by virtue of going to the Super Bowl. Everybody, it seems, has a, a, a mock draft out. I mean, you can't find anybody. You're, you just knock on your neighbor's door, and they will be happy to show you their mock draft. But when it comes to gravitas about this subject, when it comes to people who understand what the draft is inside and out, there really is only one place to turn, and that's ProFootballFocus.com. Now, when you get inside that tent, you must look for my next guest. Because he is the brains of the outfit. He is the heart, the mind, the soul, and the brains of ProFootballFocus.com. And occasionally he shows up on national TV. What a treat for us to have Austin Gale join us now here on 700 WLW. Austin, how are you on this glorious Sunday? 
Doing fantastic, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Did I, did I, I, you know, sometimes in the, I'm, I'm a little groggy in the morning. Did I see you on Good Morning Football this week? That was me, my friend, working on the Aiden Hutchinson podcast, the four-part podcast series with the projected number one overall pick. Got me on Good Morning Football, talked to him in the draft. It was a phenomenal experience. But honestly, I'm more excited for this hit with you, Ken. Yeah, you should be because we carry much more cloud and we're better looking than anybody on that show, if uh, if you want to believe that for 30 <laughs> seconds. Look, everybody and his brother's got a mock draft. You uh, and and you know God God bless some people that they think they've researched this thing thoroughly and they've done all the permutations and they know exactly who's going to be where and at what spot. As good as you guys are at ProFootballFocus.com, once you in the first round, once you get down past twenty, it's not all that it's not all out of a given, is it? Even for you that have all of these metrics at your disposal. Yeah, no, 100%. And going through this mock draft process, specifically over the last three weeks, I think we've learned a lot about how the league views the class, right? Really high on Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa opted to tackle a big, mean, bully, athletic player that maybe isn't perfect in pass protection yet, needs to improve from a technique perspective. But, man, you can't coach his demeanor. A guy that watches Thaw before every single game, the movie, the horror movie, <laughs> Thaw before every game. He is an absolute menace. So I do think that as we go through this process, you know, Trayvon Walker, the Georgia Edge defender, rising up boards, Trevor Penning rising up boards, Christian Watson, the North Dakota State wide receiver, getting up into the first-round conversation. So interesting to see how the combine impacts that and, and where we are with the league. Ahmed Gardner, in your most recent mock draft, and we're going back a couple of weeks, yours, I'm speaking of, I don't think you've had one out in the last couple of weeks, have you? I have not, no, yeah. that's my least latest one. You've got Ahmed Gardner, the uh, terrific cornerback from Cincinnati, going eight overall to Atlanta. Now we're two weeks down the road from when you projected that. Do you still see him as going to Atlanta at eight? I do think that's probably the highest he goes. I don't think he's going to be in consideration for the Jets at four. I think they're going to lock into an offensive tackle or edge defender at that top spot. I think the highest he goes is eight to the Atlanta Falcons. It's a scheme fit. It gives them A.J. Terrell and Ahmad Gardner on the outside to really count the cornerbacks. But the more I look at it now, especially with um, you know Calvin Ridley's suspension, it, it could be more likely that the Atlanta Falcons look to improve with subjectively one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL. Like, I think they could look at Drake London of USC, Garrett Wilson, Ohio State. Now, if he does get past the Falcons at eight, then I think his floor, I honestly think his floor for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, Amar Gardner, is 10 to the Jets. Hmm. The Jets do add an offensive tackle, an offensive tackle or a edge defender at four. I think they double down on defense and then add Amar Gardner at 10. Does Desmond Ritter go to New Orleans or does he go to Pittsburgh? Because he's been linked with both teams. I, I do think that you know New Orleans will 100% look at the Desmond Ritter situation. I think they're also more interested potentially in getting after an offensive tackle and a wide receiver. I think they think they can compete with Jameis Winston and, and, and Carmichael still there as the offensive coordinator. I do think that Pittsburgh would be really smart to consider him at the 20 spot, right? I know they're in on Malik Willis, but we all saw – Mike Tomlin with Desmond Ritter there at Jeff Ruby's. I think he's interested in him as well. I think Ritter will ultimately be a first-round pick. I don't see him getting past the Lions at 32. Okay. Uh, let's get to the Bengals. There's been a lot of buzz lately about Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa. Now, uh, I mean, you had him a couple of weeks ago at 26 going to Tennessee. If Linderbaum is sitting there at 31, 
knowing that the Bengals have addressed a lot of things in free agency along the offensive line, do you think they would be tempted by him? I think they'd absolutely be tempted, but the bigger situation there is what do they view Ted Karras as, right? If they want Ted Karras to play center, Landerbaum's a center only, right? The arm length is a big concern. He doesn't have the weight to really play at guard, in my opinion. I think he's only going to play center in the NFL. So if they're interested in moving Karras to guard and then bringing in Linderbaum, then I think you obviously do make the decision there at 31. But I honestly see the Bengals locking more into a corner. They've added so much of green to, to the offensive line, which is exactly how a team objectively in a Super Bowl window should do it. And at 31 now, they can add to what is a solid secondary. I think they have a lot of talented players, Von Bell, Mike Hilton, but I think they need more. And I think adding a player like Kyer Elam, the Florida cornerback, that's perfect for the scheme that they run out there, or even Andrew Booth Jr. of Clemson, I think those two players are the ones that I'll see consistently linked to the Bengals at 31 if they stay in that spot. Yeah, uh, I, I've seen enough of Booth to know he's very, very good. There's there's, there's absolutely no, no uh, question about that. But tell me about Elam a little bit. Um, you projected him going 30 at Kansas City. That's right there where the Bengals, I mean, are, are there at 31. Of the two, which looks more impressive to you? I'm bigger on Elam. I think Elam's more physical, longer, you know, built more for the cornerback position, specifically on the outside. I think he's going to have more success and press concepts at the next level, which I think is what the Bengals will look to run a bit more of, right? And, and it honestly feels a big need for them. Joby Awuze was fantastic for the Bengals last year, but they're still reeling over the signing of Trey Waynes. He struggled to stay healthy. They can add some youth to that group. In Kyer Elam, a guy that's a physical corner, tackles well. I think there's a he's one of the more underrated players in this class. Honestly, he could go a lot higher than that 30 or 31 spot to the Chiefs or Bengals. Uh, we're chatting with Austin Gale, ProFootballFocus.com. We're talking about the draft as as it comes up. Um, I, I, just one more question on the Bengals, and I want to move on to a couple of other things. The, um, the, the three linemen they've added, does that solidify that weakness enough in your mind, or is, is the NFL kind of like real estate, location, 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 in, in the NFL, line, line, line? Are you, are, you, are you comfortable with what they've done? Is that enough? I don't know. I mean, you know, I think, and nothing's enough in this league, right? I don't think anything's enough. I think that's evident in how the Los Angeles Rams built their roster, right? They had Robert Woods and Cooper Cup healthy, still went out and got Odell Beckham Jr., right? You can always get better. For the offensive line, though, I think they've achieved getting average to above average in that group. And that's exactly what they needed to do after, obviously, their deep postseason run falling short in the Super Bowl. So going beyond that and attacking more offensive line, I mean, maybe younger players, depth players on the interior in day two, day three could be an option for them. I think it's always important to like retool that group. I mean, it is objectively one of the more important groups to invest in, right? Investing in trench players so that you're not consistently having this weakness is super important. What do you make of uh, the, the, and it seems to me, it may not to you, the inordinate amount of free agents that are still available out there. I mean, there are some, some free agents out there that you look at and you say, well, why hasn't someone signed him yet? I mean, the obvious names, Gronkowski jumps out at you, and of course he's still pondering w with retirement. Odell Beckham, uh, he's got uh, you know the knee issue that he sustained, the torn ACL. You got... Uh, Tyron Matthew, Jadavian Clowney. I mean, why are Stefan Gilmore? Why are these players still available? Yeah, I think a lot of the commonalities there are they're older players, right? Some with injury concerns. I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. gets signed closer till the preseason, right? Until we have a better read on 
you know, what his injury is and when he'll be, you know, able to return. I don't think a contract would make sense for him right now until we see how he's rehabbing from that injury and exactly what week we could get him back. And Gronkowski only retirement, Stephon Gilmore getting older, Jadavon Clowney has his own knee issues, right? I think a lot of that stuff is let's wait a bit. Fill, our, fill some of the needs in the draft and, and then reapproach things as you know, injuries happen in training camp and that kind of stuff. Those veteran players, you know, don't need training camp. Those guys don't need, you know, to be added to the system early to learn things. I think they can be added at any point. I think teams are just more looking to shape their roster around the guarantees in the draft. You know, it's funny, though. We all get breathless before free agency begins, and then there's that, that rush. I mean, this is historically. There's that rush of the first two or three days, and then it just kind of like kind of peters out after that every year. Right. We always get sucked yeah. in right every year. And then it's like, oh, yeah. after about three or four days, it's over with. Definitely a, a, fr- a frantic 72 <laughs> hours. Right. I think that's where a lot of the healthy, younger players get signed to big monster contracts. J.C. Jackson being one of them to the Los Angeles Chargers. You see yeah. uh, a lot of guys just getting a ton of big money contracts. A lot of the receivers, too. Right. Christian Kirk to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, you know, oftentimes in the. So weeks following free agency, it's the older veteran players that are battling injuries, mulling retirement, or and and you know with older players too, they're more specific on where they want to go. You know, like <laughs> there's certain players that don't want to play on the East Coast versus West Coast, all that stuff. I remember I was talking to Damon Harrison, you know, aka Snacks, you know, back in the day, and he said, you know, I don't want to play up north because my knees in the cold, all this stuff. So as you get older, man, you get a little bit more specific about where you want to play. Um, no doubt in your mind that Aiden Hutchinson goes number one overall. You know, I don't think it's a lock, right? I think he's the betting favorite to be the number one overall pick, the projected number one overall pick. However, Jacksonville very well could look at Trayvon Walker, Georgia edge defender, Kayvon Thibodeau as well, the Oregon edge defender. I'd take Aiden. I know what exactly what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. High floor player, a guy that, you know, everything about him, measurables, athleticism, character, work yeah. ethic, production, is just all at the highest level. I was talking to his head coach, Jim Harbaugh, and he says, I don't think I've coached a player that was more complete, right? And it's the completeness in a class where there isn't a lot of blue-chip talent that I do think we'll have the Jacksonville Jaguars salivating at number one. You know all things football. Does the USFL make it? Spring football begins next week. Eight teams all playing under the same roof. I'm going to get into this uh, in the next hour, but I'm just wondering your opinion since you understand football. Uh, Spring football has failed miserably, really, since the original USFL. Does does, Does this incarnation make it? I think it can. I think the essential components of making it right is, you know, the broadcasting angle needs to be different. You know, I remember in one of the spring leagues, they had you know reporters on the field. They were talking to coaches at halftime, and that's stuff that you just don't have in the NFL. You're hearing the play as it's getting called in. Like, they need to broadcast the game differently and, and zig as the NFL zags in order to just make it more attractive, right? Because you're not going to beat the NFL in talent. You're not going to beat the NFL and, and the players that you have on the field, but you can beat the NFL and how the game is programmed and take more risks in that area, bring energy into the booth for the USFL. You can't do what the NFL does and expect it to work. You need to do something differently. And I think the other piece of that is I think they need support. They need support from the league. They yeah. need support from colleges. They need support from all that stuff. People need to see the value of the USFL, the value in development, developing players that don't have a shot in the NFL that could eventually go into the bigger league, right? That's where I think it makes sense. Austin, thank you. You know, when you get uh, when you get to the big time consistently, don't forget the little folks here in Cincinnati, okay? Never will. Thank you so much. Austin Gale, ProFootballFocus.com. It's on uh, Good Morning Football this week. Sitting there in the morning, I'm flipping around, and there he is. There he is. And uh, there are a lot of guys at ProFootballFocus.com that have uh, mock drafts up there. You want to check it out. 
Everything is metrically driven, and their preseason draft guide is just phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It really is. It's If you want to follow the draft, if you want to know what may be coming up for the Bengals as you await the pick, and you have all the talking heads up there, and they're talking about it could be this guy, probably this guy, you can just dial it up immediately, and there it is. There it is on ProFootballFocus.com. Don't get any money for saying that. Don't get a nickel for saying that. I'm a guy that invests. 1051 News Radio 700 WLW. It's opening day. The 700 WLW R&L Carriers Reds Home Opener. Buckle your seatbelts, folks. We got a game. Presented by your local Toyota dealers, Ortho Cincy and Izzy's. Live from the airport paint and body broadcast area at the Holy Grail Bank. The ultimate all-day baseball party. Beginning Tuesday morning at 9. And the Reds continue to pile it on. On 700 WLW, the home of the Cincinnati Reds. I've said this for a while, I will say it again. If it's time for you to sell to your home, if it's time for you to find a home here in the greater Cincinnati area, you need to get a hold of Hoding Realtors. Very easy. Here's the phone number. Area code 513-793-4800. Listen to this. The Genie Reader team just listed a three-bed, two-bath ranch, vaulted ceiling, five-car detached garage on eight acres in Delhi Township. My goodness, it went under contract in one day, one day. Genie's team also listed a fully remodeled three-bed, two-and-a-half bath with a newer roof, just listed, may not last the weekend. you got to get a hold of Hoding, 513-793-4800, and when you do... They will give you a free market analysis of your home. What it's worth, what the upgrades will be worth, what the comps in your neighborhood will tell you about your home's value. It's very easy. Just call 513-793-4800 or on the Internet, Hoding with an E.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But uh, 62, uh, 60, 60 years ago today, in 1962, the Houston Colts, 45, made their Major League debut. Beat the Cubs 11-2 at Colts Stadium. Of course, the Colts went on and became the Houston Astros, played in one of the eight wonders of the world, the Houston Astrodome, at least at the time. 60 years ago today, a baseball team was born. It's red shirt day at the Master. Tiger has, uh, I think, just teed off. He's wearing a red shirt, as would be the custom. Red shirt day for Tiger. Old, uh, everything old seems uh, seems new again. But again, that if you and we're going to get into this in a couple of minutes with Ryan Ballingy from Golf News Net. Um, when you think about the devastating car accident that he had, when you think about the fact that when the surgeons completed all of their operations, the multitude of operations they had to perform on his leg, and they could not move him, physically move him, from that hospital for three months. And now here we are, less than a year from all of those surgeries, 
he's not only walking, because there was a real scenario where he would have to have had his leg amputated. He is not only walking, he is in the middle of walking in four days, 72 holes of golf. And he's played two practice rounds. So that is in excess of 106 holes of golf. And it's well documented what he's going through when he goes back to wherever he's staying in Augusta, the uh, the amount of treatment he has to go through at the end of each day so he can get his leg, the swelling and everything else, get it down to a mild roar so he could go out and play play at, at some level of competitive golf that he is accustomed to. Now, he had a 78 yesterday. And for you and for me, uh, 78 is, like, phenomenal. For Tiger, 78 would, would have been unconscionable even five years ago. But he had a 71, 74, 78. I don't hold out a whole lot of hope for him. Now, News Radio 700 WLW presents Sunday Morning Sports Talk with your host, Ken Brew, on News Radio 700 WLW. It is a day unlike any other. Because today is round four of the Masters, where uh, even the most casual golf fan is transfixed watching his television set, wondering who will be challenged and who will wither on day four of golf's most prestigious tournament. Scotty Scheffler, with rounds of 69, 67, and 71. Scotty Scheffler has the lead at nine under, right behind him at three under, is Cameron Smith with rounds of 68, 74, and 68. And lurking after him, Sun J.M. and Charles Swartzel and Shane Lowry and Corey Connors. Outside chances, not great chances, at 9-under, leading by 3. Not insurmountable, certainly, but uh, there's going to have to be some wicked golf played here. For uh, a lot of the folks that are now in fifth and sixth and seventh plays to try and catch up to Scotty Scheffler. If today is a day unlike any other, here now a tradition unlike any other. Because on round four, day four of the Masters, we always welcome in our good buddy, the uh, proprietor of thegolfnewsnet.com. Great destination for all of your golf interests. Get some good deal on a good deals on equipment on that uh, website as well. He is Ryan Ballingy. Ryan, how are you on this glorious round four day? I'm well, Ken. How are you? Happy Master Sunday. Happy Master Sunday to you too. By the way, it says here on your bio that you are a backyard course architect. So if you came to my house, you could probably what three four holes at least, right? We got a little routing. Yeah, I have a nice little backyard, three, four hole, whole course for you to play. It'd be great. I'd have to get some real estate or seize it uh, for for my neighbors on eminent domain. But yeah, I would, uh, I would, I might be interested in that. Look, uh, Scotty Scheffler. What do we know about Scotty Scheffler and how he may or may not handle the pressure of going into this final day with a three shot lead? Well, the positive is he's won three of his last five starts, and he's in seven weeks gone from 14th in the world to number one in the world. And that doesn't happen easily, Mm -hmm. especially with how crowded the world ranking is. And he's won big events. He's won the Phoenix Open. He's won the Bay Bay Hill event, Arnold Palmer's event. Uh, Then he won the WGC match play. So he's won three big stage, big deep field events. That's the positive. The mm-hmm. negative is two times 
in his career, albeit a short career, he's had the 54-hole lead or a share thereof. He hasn't won either time. So if you want to take the positive, he's been finishing lately really well. The negative is he hasn't done it from ahead. So what's that going to look like today with a three-shot lead at Augusta National? Not not exactly sure how it's going to pan out, especially if Cameron Smith, who is a very aggressive player, mm-hmm. proves to be on his game early on in the round and maybe Scheffler's a little too conservative or playing a little too much to not to lose versus to play to win. Yeah, well, I watched Scheffler um, uh, yesterday. No, no, actually, it was round two. I was uh, paying the most attention to him. And in his final 11 holes, he has six birdies. He, 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 really, he really owned that course after making the turn. I, I thought he played phenomenal golf. Uh, yesterday, uh, you mentioned Smith. Smith had that, uh, that bogey on 16, but in, in uh, you know, birdie on 6, birdie on 8, 10, 13, 15 birdies, um, he played really, really well yesterday. What, what do you make of momentum from round 3 going into round 4, uh, Masters Sunday, on that course? Is, is there such a thing as momentum that carries you into that final round? I think that there is, and then you have to try to harness it, and, and sometimes it's kind of hard to harness it. But I, I think between the two, Scotty Scheffler probably felt at some point yesterday, he, he probably let himself think, this thing's close to over. He's up seven shots, mm-hmm. way ahead of everybody, clearly playing better than everybody, and then got a little bit closer than that. Yeah. And there has to be a part of him thinking, oh, I can't let this opportunity go. And Cam Smith has to be thinking, if it weren't for those two double bogeys I made in the first round on one and 18, mm-hmm. I would be in the lead right now. So he's got to be thinking he's playing the best golf the last 36 holes while Scotty Scheffler's played the best golf for all 54 holes. So all he needs is a good 18, kind of like yesterday, Cam Smith is probably thinking, and maybe I can take this thing. The, 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 the double he had... On 18, I'm speaking of Cameron Smith in round one. I mean, I, 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 I can't justify anything. These guys are the greatest golfers in the world. But okay, I mean, he he takes a double on one in a, in his opening round. I mean, it's it's all uphill after that. But the double on 18 to me, I thought was devastating for him in that round. I mean, he was in and out of trouble, but he still, um, you know, I thought. I thought the guy could salvage bogey on that hole. What the, what the hell happened to him in round one on 18? I don't even know if I can explain it. I, I think the general explanation is I feel like Cam Smith makes more tactical errors, especially than Scotty Scheffler does, when he's out there. And he almost kind of overestimates his abilities to get himself out of trouble instead of in these types of tournaments, particularly majors and even the players, which is as close to a major as it gets without being one, kind of overestimated his ability to get out of trouble instead of just saying, all right, I'm going to lose a shot here. Let's only lose one instead of let's try to be a hero, make a par, and maybe lose two. And I think he needs to think about that today. And his caddy on his bag has to pull him aside if he gets into one of those spots and look, we only want to lose one. We don't want to lose the whole thing. Right. And make the smart play, make the right decision. Yeah. Uh, and if he can do that, and again, harness what he's been doing the last couple of days, which is playing great, great golf uh, without many mistakes, then 
I think he's got a chance. You know, and tap into what happened at the players, too. I mean, he was stellar at the players. Just tap into and, – and although that's <clears> – <throat> I mean, that's the tournament for the, for the players. Tap into a little bit of that. That's a huge tournament. He played very well at the players, obviously. And uh, maybe tap into some of that, that mojo that he had in that, that final round. I think the final round of the players this year, he, it was a 66-67 for him, wasn't it? I mean, phenomenal golf. And and that even came with a huge mistake on the seventy second hole. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't make that mistake here today if he's got a chance to win. And I would even go back to January because of the tournament of champions which he won, he stared down the world number one at that time, John Rahm, in the final group and played better than him. Mm-hmm. So he can do it. He can beat the best player in the world. He can be the best player in the world. Yeah. Uh, he's got plenty on his resume to prove to himself that he can do it. I think the fact that Tiger Woods is walking 72 holes of golf this week, in, in essence, a couple of practice rounds, you're talking in excess of 100 uh, holes of golf, is a story that's unlike any other. I mean, this is a guy that was going to lose a leg, a guy that couldn't move out of a hospital room for three months after that car accident. Uh, Tiger has done a lot of things that has left the the sports world. Forget about golf. The sports world astounded. Are you astounded that he's just out there walking at this point? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty staggering. I mean, 30 days ago, would any of us even thought he'd be playing this tournament? Mm-mm. And he shows up and he gets asked, do you, do you think you could win? He says, yes. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> staggering. That's a, a borderline psychosis, but it's staggering. Yeah, And he goes out there and on Thursday shot the most professional one under par round I've ever seen. Yep. He didn't have it, no. but he found a way to, to score. Yeah. And he found a way to make the cut when it looked like things were going to go really bad on Friday. Yeah, And, yeah, he didn't have a great round yesterday. His putting was awful, uh, yeah. truly awful yesterday. But that he's able to finish 72 holes in this tournament and having not played true competitive golf in more than 500 days, Nearly lost the leg. Had oh, had a microdiscectomy, by the way. Also, that we didn't, we don't really talk about. And okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's beating some of the world's best players handily. Yeah. That's, that's amazing to me. That, it, that is truly amazing. And I, I don't know if we're going to appreciate it enough in the moment, but in probably five or ten years, someone will really appreciate it for what this was. Yeah, exactly. And uh, watching him on Thursday, I, I was watching with a group of people, and I said, and he was, you know, Ty, the way Tiger plays, he's always going to get into trouble. There will always be there will always be shots from under trees with pine flying up and everything. I said, it might have been as he got into maybe the 15th, 16th hole. I said, he's not making hero shots. What he's doing is kind of like what we do. We're all kind of laughing. Is, you know, he's laying up. He's going to let his short game get him home. It's not like he was try- going to try and blast out like a three iron from underneath a tree and it's, miraculously it's going to make the green. So those, he can't do that at this point in his life. But he was playing 
he was shot making. He was playing shot making yeah. golf, which is I think why now a lot of people are kind of saying, "Wait a minute, this guy changed his game because of his physical ailment." And he's kind of playing the game like we do. I thought that was that was that was kind of like a a come to golf Jesus moment for everybody on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think with all the pre tournament talk of oh he's got all his speed back, you know he's hitting it as far as he always has. I think maybe that was a little overdone, uh, but or, or maybe it was, and he just got tired. But whatever it was, he realized what he had, and he played really well with what he had, which is pretty incredible stuff. Not Very few professionals can do that at that, at that level. They, they let pride take over and try to force it. He knew what he could do, which was hit high, lazy cuts, and he did that. And he managed to get around the golf course in incredible fashion. And... I don't know what comes next for him. I, I, I'm not assuming he's just going to start res, you know, playing the majors again. I, I don't know if he's just going to show up in Tulsa and play the PGA Championship yeah. next month. So no. I think we kind of just need to appreciate this for what it is and don't assume this is the beginning of some, some kind of new era. Just take, take it in for what it is. Yeah, no, I, I'm well familiar with the course that, that's out there in Tulsa. I've played it many times. I don't think he's going to show up and play that, but he could considering it's Lynx golf, I could see him at the British Open. I mean, it's flat, and it's not quite as demanding as what he would play in play at at Tulsa. So, I mean, I could see him at the British Open this year. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I I, I think I could see him in the, maybe, I could see an outside chance of the PGA just because he won there uh, previously, but although it was like 106 degrees when he won that PGA, yeah. well, this will not be that. No. Um, and definitely the Open. I mean, he's going to play the Open because it's St. Andrews. He's he will be there. I assure you. Yeah. Um, so that'll be. But you know, beyond that, I don't. I don't assume too much about what we're going to get or not get from Tiger. And uh, I think that makes this a little bit more special. Is we, I, you just can't assume we're going to see him again anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that that course in Tulsa is Southern Hills, which has one of the best finishing holes in all of golf. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, did Did you notice this week that um, uh, the set of irons that he used to win what what we consider the Tiger Slam, those Titleist six eighty one T irons, they were sold at auction for five point one five million by a guy that bought them for fifty seven thousand dollars twelve years ago. My point being is, is it, it really doesn't matter at this point, other than to those that are around Tiger Woods, his friends and his family, whether he can play competitive golf again, whether he can win another tournament again. But to the general public, anything that's Tiger Woods is going to command so much interest and money on the open market. I can't, you can't, very few people can afford to spend the 57000 that those irons sold for 10, 15 years ago. But the $5.15 million, it just speaks to how he has transcended his sport. And there are very few athletes in the history of any sport that transcend the sport. I'm not sure as great as a, a, a player and as much as I revere a, a player as Jack Nicholas. I don't know if he transcended the sport the way Woods has transcended the sport. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, and we talked about it a couple of minutes ago, the, the farther we get away from something, the, the further time passes, the more we get away from something, I think the more impressive things seem. And 
at the time when Tiger won the, the Tiger Slam, we just figured he'd never lose a major again and just kind of kept going with it for another yeah. decade yeah. instead of saying, this is incredible. This is outrageous that this happened. And now, you know, we're 21 years removed from the completion of that. And I, I think it has dawned on people a little bit more just how good this guy was and how incredibly dominant he was as a player. And I'll say the same thing about Jack. I think people now better appreciate his consistency as a major champion compared to Tiger's domination as a major champion. Because if you look at what Jack's record was in the 70s in the majors, it, it is stunning how often he was in the top three. Yeah. Uh, not not just winning, but the top three. It, basically all of them. I mean, just, just look at them. They're yeah. all there. And I yeah. think people appreciate that more now because not only of who Tiger was the dominating player, but also just how hard it is to do in the modern game to be that consistent. And the Jack did it with you know, for basically a decade in, in a row. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, Tiger's a couple of uh, holes into round four, and uh, he's picked up a shot to par. He's opened uh, par birdie on uh, on the final day of the Masters. Uh, you had to make book right now. Would you say Scotty Scheffler wins this thing or no? I'm so back and forth. I mean, I've, I've doubted Scotty Scheffler far too much in the last seven weeks. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to now. He's played, he has played the best golf, and I, I, I think he has the demeanor to be able to carry this thing. But if, like I said, if he makes one big mistake, it's Cam Smith's for the taking. Yeah. Follow him on thegolfnewsnet.com, Ryan. It's always great catching up with you. Stay well and uh, work on your short game. We'll talk down the road. Thanks. We'll, we'll do. Thanks, Ken. There he is. The fact that Tiger Woods is walking, let alone swinging a golf club and scoring in the 70s at Augusta, to me, is it's unbelievable. It's 11.22. It's Sunday morning sports talk. Ken Brew, 700 WLW. Hey, hey. It's a hardball palooza. What a catch! Oh, wow! Red Legs battle in the Braves for baseball glory. Way back there, and it is gone. And we've got the action live. That might be the play of the year. Get the call from Atlanta today at 1235. Way back and way gone. On 700 WLW and 700 WLW's live stream on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, hey. What you're about to hear is actual 911 audio of Bill Cunningham stuck on his roof. 911 emergency dispatcher dryer. Oh, I have a 700 WLW. Welcome back to the festivities. I'm your congenial guide, Ken Brew. Well, there has never been a smoother voice in the history of music than this next man. And all the way back in 67, he recorded a song that would send him straight to the charts top. This is marvelous. Money-making Marvin Gaye. Uh, the song was cut originally by uh, the Miracle, Smokey Robinson's group. And uh, it didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. Didn't do anything for, uh, for the Miracles. Didn't do anything for Barry Gordy, who ran Motown. Gordy never released it. So then Marvin Gaye got a hold of it. And uh, he had a new arrangement. Still kind of up-tempo. But uh, Barry Gordy didn't like it, and it stayed in the uh, the vaults at Motown. And then uh, the producer of this song, who uh, just a uh, tremendous, tremendous producer, Norman Whitfield, he and his uh, songwriting buddy, Barrett Strong, wrote this song, and uh, they gave it a Gladys Knight 
and it became a big hit. But Gay still liked the song. He wanted to give it his own feel, and he finally convinced Barry Gordy to release this version of this song. And Gordy was still reluctant to do it. He said, all right. I mean, Marvin, I'm going to throw you a bone here. Well, there was a radio station, very small radio station in Chicago that only played black music. W-V-O-N were the call letters. And it started playing this song, and it just, their phones rang off the hook. They wanted, you know, play, who is this? Play it, play it. Well, it convinced Barry Gordy that, uh, okay, uh, we'll give it to somebody besides that station in Chicago. They released it nationwide, and really, all due respect to Gladys Knight. No version of this song better than the one you're listening to right now by Marvelous money-making Marvin Gaye. Born on April the 2nd, 1939, and shot dead by his father in a domestic dispute on April the 1st, 1984. Gone at 44. Marvin Gaye. Partly cloudy, nice today. High 63. Tonight, clear, cool, low 42. Tomorrow, showers move in, but it'll still be mild with a high of 62. Tuesday's going to be the best day of the week. Sunny and 70. We are at 52 degrees. 52 at the Tri-State Severe Weather Station. Welcome back. 700 WLW. Sunday morning sports talk. I am Ken Brew. Counting down to the Reds and the Braves later on this afternoon as the Reds go for the series split against the Braves. And it's a big day for Cincinnati because we finally get to see Hunter Green throw in a major league game. His major league debut. Maybe the most anticipated debut of a major ligger since Jay Bruce all those years ago. I mean, there could be an analogy drawn to uh, Homer Bailey. Uh, I hope not because Homer Bailey came up here and I just thought he was rushed and never realized his potential. Green, obviously, has been through a little bit of an odyssey when he was drafted second overall, then having to go through Tommy John surgery, then last year splitting the season between AA and AAA, and today finally making his major league start after earning that right in spring training. So just a little game inside the game as the Reds try to end the first series of 2022 at 500. Coming up next week, it is the incarnation, the latest incarnation of spring football. We saw a couple of years ago the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, last about a half season and then go under. We saw the latest incarnation of the XFL go under. The XFL is coming back next year under the direction of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But next week, next week, it's the reincarnation of the USFL. Uh, the uh, teams that are in the USFL are all in original USFL franchise cities. There are eight of those teams. Now, back when the USFL, the original USFL, began play in 1983, there were 18 teams. And the idea was spring football was a void in the sports calendar. Now, we know football is the sport that rules the roost. We like to think of baseball as our national pastime. And, okay, if you feel that way, but look... Football is the sport. It is lived and it is breathed in an NFL city 24-7, 365. But back in 1983, when the USFL was born, the idea was get enough teams on the field, get enough excitement built, that eventually it could become a part of the NFL, either by expansion 
or by just legally getting its way in to that exclusive NFL club. Well, we know now it never happened. It was live for three seasons. Then it took on the NFL, at least on paper, in the fall. Never played a game in the fall in that league. Sued the NFL and wound up in damages with three. Count them. One, two, three dollars. But now the USFL is back. It seems to be on more congenial footing with the NFL than the original USFL. And uh, it's a unique setup. It has a major television contract. And it gets a year head start on the XFL. But will spring football ever get the toehold that these current owners and the ones before them in those three other leagues thought it would? Standing by to join us right now to talk about the latest edition of the USFL is a guy who covers it for SportingNews.com. We've had Jacob Kamaker on the show many times before. It's great to have him back. And Jacob, how are you on this glorious Sunday? I'm doing great, Ken. Thank you for having me on. I'm pretty fired up about this USFL. Um, I, I am old enough to remember it. I worked in Tampa when the Bandits were down there. Steve Spurrier, the head coach, and the owner was John, the late John Bassett. And uh, there was some exciting football that came through that league. Jim Kelly was in that league at that time. Uh, Gary Anderson, a very exciting running back. Um, a number of players that kind of lit it up, and some of whom went on to great careers. I suppose on that alone, we should be excited that spring football is back, right? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, I think if you look at it, this version of the USFL is probably not going to have the same type of high-end players that the original version of the USFL had. We've sort of seen the last few years the AAF and XFL attempts to take off um, and not be able to acquire that star power that's key to sustaining a league. But I think the USFL has some brand equity. They have the team names from the original league. Uh, they'll have some trouble finding star players, at least at first. But, you know, football fans don't necessarily care about who's playing. Players will emerge. There are some guys with NFL experience. There's a couple former first-round picks in the league. and just some recognizable college quarterbacks. So, you know, stars will emerge, and uh, we'll see what ends up happening. But, yeah, I'm pretty fired up for it, too. It's exciting. You know, we get to see a little something different in the world of football. And that's never a bad thing. Why has spring football, in your opinion, failed, particularly recently with the AAF and with the XFL? Now the XFL is coming back, different ownership. Why has it not worked? I think part of the issue is just the overall star power. Like I said, they haven't been able to attract big-time names. I know the AAF in 2019 tried to get Johnny Manziel in there, but... At that point, he was a big name, but he wasn't playing up to par with, you know, the, the types of players they had in that league, like Garrett Gilbert, who ended up being the real AAF star, but he even is just a backup at the NFL level. And I think the XFL problem was they got off to a great start. They had TV broadcast deals. Uh, fans were really enjoying the games, and they just ran into the misfortune of the pandemic canceling their season. So I think those were the two problems, but it really boils down to who can you get as players that will keep fans excited and entertained and really keep them coming back? You can find some stars, but if you don't have enough, 
It just doesn't sustain a high level of play. Well, and see, therein lies the rub. I mean, I watched the draft. I, well, not, I, I watched who was selected. Um, there are a lot of players that were selected that are not household names, even in their own households. I'm just wondering, you know, where are the stars in this league? Yeah, it's really hard to find any true stars. You kind of look for guys with some speed, some guys that, you know, could break out in the right scenario. I think if you look at the quarterback rooms, like these names aren't going to pop off the page, but the Michigan Panthers have Shea Patterson on their team. He was a two-year starter at Michigan, so he at least has some local ties, and then his backup is for a first-round pick for the Broncos, Paxton Lynch. So Mm. you, you hope one of them will emerge as a kind of a guy that people watch and say, hey, that guy's not so bad. Maybe he could make it in the NFL. And, you know, we've seen guys like Taylor Heineke played in the XFL, and he emerged as a part-time starter and probably the backup at this point. So that's really what you're looking for at the quarterback room. Um, But if I had to pick one guy who I think could really come out and play well, be Kyle Sloter for the Breakers. Um, He had a really, really good preseason with the Broncos about four or five years ago. And uh, he's a... He's just a really good passer. So I'm wondering if he can emerge as a quality backup for um, some NFL team in the future. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Eight teams, all of which carry the name of former USFL teams back in the mid-'80s, Michigan Panthers, New Jersey Generals, Philadelphia Stars, Pittsburgh Maulers, Birmingham Stallions, uh, Houston Gamblers, the New Orleans Breakers, and the Tampa Bay Bandits. Um, there There is no ownership group from back in 1981 to 1987, no ownership group from then that's owning here, right? That's correct. And that actually has been the subject of a lawsuit. The original USFL um, has sued the new USFL um, and alleging that the new USFL is an unabashed counterfeit and that it has no right to the league's name, as well as the names and logos and intellectual property of the eight teams. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, I don't know where they're at in point of, you know, litigating that lawsuit and having it come out in court. But if they could, if the previous team could prove that, hey, these these brands don't belong to this league, the league would be in a lot, a lot of trouble because then they would have to completely rebrand potentially in season, and that could lead to disastrous results. So that is something to watch. Um, Again, I'm not sure where exactly it stands at this point, but it's something to keep in mind because if there's anything that could really – deflate the value of the new usfl it's that lawsuit okay so so the uh the season begins this coming saturday it'll run through mid-june and then the playoffs happen after that they got a tv contract so that probably helps right fox um and nbc i think are the two networks that are going to carry these games am i right on that yeah, you're right. Fox and NBC are splitting the broadcast deals. I don't know exactly how they're splitting it, but I know those will be the two networks that carry the game. Okay, and are are, are all of these all of these teams have secured home stadia uh, for their games or no? So I believe the plan is first uh, for the first year of this league, they're all going to play at the same stadium. They're going to be located in Birmingham. Uh, so that's a little bit interesting in that, you know, they're not playing in their geographical homes or locations. That'll cut down on travel costs. But that is going to make it interesting to see how the non-Birmingham teams can attract a fan base in their local market. Um, obviously, it'll be available to watch on TV nationally. Maybe that will draw some attention. But, uh, you know, these startup leagues rely on people going to the games and becoming fans. So I will be interested to see 
if they can do that while hosting all of the games in one location. You know, the biggest star name they may have is in their front office. Uh, former Dallas Cowboys fullback Moose Johnson, apparently, is their executive VP of operations, right? Yeah, that's correct, I believe. So they have some big names. Most of these startup leagues do. I believe Bill Polian was involved with the AAF. Uh, they try, and obviously Dwayne The Rock Johnson is involved with the relaunch of the XFL after Vince McMahon was uh, involved with it first in 2020. So I think getting Daryl Johnson involved is a big move for uh, for this league, the USFL. They'll see if they can get it done. Uh, but anytime you have a startup, you need at least one big name among the highest-ranking uh, group. Jacob Kanaker is our guest. We're talking about the new spring football league, the USFL that begins play this coming weekend. And I guess, unlike the old USFL, again, back in the early 80s, which had a very contentious relationship with the NFL, wound up in court, uh, wound wound up going out of business, tried to take on the NFL, at least in theory, by playing fall football. Unlike that, there is, this is not quite as acrimonious. In fact, it looks like the NFL has embraced this, correct? Yeah, I believe the NFL might like to see a spring league emerge at this point and may get involved with it. I believe they've had talks with the XFL before, creating some sort of partnership or relationship. The NFL obviously doesn't have a feeder league or anywhere to develop their prospects or back-end roster guys uh, since NFL Europe uh, no longer exists. So I'm half wondering if they could find a successful spring league, they capitalize on revenue from it and have some of their clubs send the back end of their 90-man roster to, you know, compete in a spring league. So I imagine the NFL wouldn't view it as much as a competition as much of an investment at this point because the NFL is never going away. It's never really going to be challenged. So if they can get their finger in another football pot, I think they'd be very happy with that. Yeah, I think the real challenge for the USFL is going to be the the reincarnation, the latest uh, incarnation, if you will, of the XFL, the one that The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, now apparently is heading. And uh, The Rock was, you know, we saw him at the Super Bowl, you know, doing some sort of introduction that uh, really seemed out of place completely. But therein may be the relationship between spring football and the NFL, correct? Yeah, I feel like the, the relationship between the XFL and the NFL was starting to strengthen before the pandemic came. And I, I feel like they want to tie themselves a little bit to Dwayne Johnson because, again, he, he's a recognizable name that a lot of people will know that will have some ideas about how to in, in get uh, some excitement around these spring games. And the XFL did a really good job in 2020. Their, their brand designs were good. They were attracting uh, sizable crowds to games, maybe not elite-sized crowds, but I remember watching you know some Seattle games, some Washington games, and there were people at those games. Uh, and if not for the pandemic, I think they would have come back for at least the second season to see how it went. So I think that success coupled with Dwayne Johnson's name is going to make the NFL gravitate towards the XFL, uh, especially if the XFL can get a little more recognizable talent in their player pool, because that's something that the USFL doesn't quite have. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and that's it. I, I, they're, they're not both going to succeed. I, I mean, uh, maybe in a in a perfect world they do, but one of these two leagues is going to succeed. So I guess the best thing the USFL has going for it right now is it's starting a year before the XFL's latest incarnation. And maybe in timing, they may have uh, an advantage, but you're not going to see the USFL and the XFL going head-to-head in the spring for very long. I, I don't think so, but maybe never. Yeah, I would highly doubt that. I don't think there's a big enough player pool for both to draw from. 
So more likely than not, if there is going to be a successful spring league, it's going to be one of these two, not both of them, unless maybe they would consider a merger if both did well. Uh, but I think that's a long ways off, and we'll have to see what the USFL can do first. If they come out of the gate very strong, the XFL will have a lot of competition. But, you know, if they fizzle out, the XFL is then going to have a lot to learn from the USFL, just as it's learned from the AAF and the first reincarnation of the XFL before it. Yeah. Well, I, I hope, it, it, you know, the, the belief has always been that there is an audience there for football in the spring. Uh, the old USFL had a terrific television contract with ABC. Uh, these are two strong networks now, Fox and NBC. Uh, but, you you know, you're only as good as what the American interest is, the American public's interest is. And I think you're right. Unless they get some star players in quickly, I'm not, I'm not certain how far this thing goes. But, hey, it's football. And uh, give it a watch, right? Jacob, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll talk down the road, I'm sure. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Ken. Four games a week, 10-week regular season, total of 43 USFL games. First one is coming up this coming Saturday when the New Jersey Generals take on the Birmingham Stallions. And the problem is going to be stars. You have to have stars for people to watch. That's what the NFL has. What the USFL has and what the XFL will have will be players that played okay in college, some that underachieved, some that played in smaller schools, but no mega stars. There will be no Joe Burrow in the uh, USFL. There might not even be a Brandon Allen in the USFL. But the fact of the matter is, it will be football, and it will be competitive. And although a lot of us are out and about doing things in the spring, what we're not doing in the fall, like going to kids' soccer games or going shopping or playing golf or whatever it may be, they're banking on enough eyeballs to the TV sets that they will get a renewal from Fox and from NBC to make this thing not just a one-year wonder, or in the case of its predecessors, its immediate predecessors, a one-half-year wonder. We'll see. Stars and building stars will be the key. In fact, they really don't even have a star in their ownership group. The star in the original USFL ownership group was the guy who eventually bought the New Jersey Generals. That would be the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. It's Sunday morning sports talk. It's you and me. It's always a great gathering. Thank you for being with us on 700 WLW. You till the ground, you plant the seed, you water and nurture the plant, you watch it grow, and then in the prime of its life, you kill it and eat it. Many people ask how I could eat the very carrot, cucumber, or cauliflower I so lovingly gave life to. We discuss that and the morality of other plant-based decisions during the Vegetable Eaters podcast. There are a lot of shows to listen to these days. Make sure it's a show worth your time. I suggest The Scott Sloan Show. Look, I'm about the real stuff. You have the problems and the issues that actually affect you. But I also make sure we have a little fun along the way. Check out Sloney tomorrow morning at 9 on 700 WLW. And be sure to catch his podcast on the iHeartRadio app. I've said this for a while. I will say it again. If it's time for you to sell your home, if it's time for you to find a home here in the greater Cincinnati area, you need to get a hold of Hoding Realtors. Very easy. Here's the phone number. Area code 513 793 4,800. Listen to this. The Genie Reader team just listed a three-bed, two-bath ranch, vaulted ceiling, five-car detached garage on eight acres in Delhi Township. My goodness. It went under contract in one day. One day. 
Jeannie's team also listed a fully remodeled three-bed, two-and-a-half bath with a newer roof just listed. May not last the weekend. you got to get a hold of Hoding. 513-793-4800. And when you do, they will give you a free market analysis of your home. What it's worth, what the upgrades will be worth, what the comps in your neighborhood will tell you about your home's value. It's very easy. Just call 513-793-4800 or on the Internet. Hoding with an E.com. Guyler Heating and Cooling Company. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.